due to the length of the following CBC special presentation, Front Page Challenge will not be seen tonight, but will return next Sunday at its regular time. Previously on Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. So big. But size matters. That's what we're well, talking it about. It does. Almost anything to do with size is already a bit scary. Oh, it's too big. It's too big. It's too big. It's too big. Oh, that wasn't big enough. Aplica. Aplica. So, uh, Smarties or M&M's? Yeah. Okay. The some, somewhat threatening. The somewhat threatening, threatening Mantis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't like the look in his eye, Mantis. It's so big. It's just this ugly freaking bird. Oh my god, Tokyo, again! It's about giant teenagers. Well, the running and screaming people. Oh, and he's got a t-shirt and he's sweating profusely. Yeah, it was called. Just don't the le- say the legend of Bogey Creek. No. What the hell? <laughs> Were you going to say that? Yeah. Paprika. Paprika. There is no Godzilla. You shut up. Just shut up, you. And now, the conclusion of Size Matters. One of the things on your list, of course, is Night of the Lethus. Oh, um, so good. Which I also rewatched, like, like, because you said, hey, we're going to be doing this, and why not watch it? And it was on TCM. So, now I didn't stick right around to the end, because at a certain <laughs> point, I just said I had enough of these rabbits that are just regular-sized rabbits, that they have a small camera making them look like they're big. And it became a point where I just said, okay, enough already. <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah, because it has the giggle factor going for it but it's a uh, definitely diminishing returns after about i don't know the first 40 minutes or so um yeah and, and in fact every time i see it or think about it i realize that the scene in um, monty python and the holy grail with that rabbit that attacks is mm. so much more frightening mm. and vicious than anything yes. in night of the lepus which is about giant rabbits and but we get we get to Forrest Kelly, so I'll I'll take it. What happened that night? Science made its greatest mistake. What unknown terror? was born that night. What is the terrifying mutant that strikes from behind the shroud of night? 
sleep us. A night of total terror. More shattering than your strangest nightmare. What caused the unnatural death, destruction, and panic? That night of the Lepus. Janet Lee. Stuart Whitman. Rory Calhoun. And Paul Fix. Night of the Lepus. Kill one. And thousands take their place. What devil creatures growing weight and size every day are hidden behind the eyes of horror? What can stop them? Night of the Lepus from MGM. Uh, so along for the ride in this era, we get frogs in 1972. Uh, we get Digby, the biggest dog in the world, which is not, it's not a, uh, a monster film as such, but he is, um, he is attacked by the, by the army. Uh, mm. We get Food of the Gods in 1976. And I saw that one, actually. Food of the I Gods? I saw Digby, the biggest dog oh. in the world. <laughs> oh, excellent. I was actually going to ask you if you did, because I only remember trailers for it. Mm. And for some reason, I was uh, conflating Digby with Benji which is another dog film of the time, but about a very small dog, not a very big dog. Um, ever see Food of the Gods, the giant rats film? No. Very much like Night of the Lepus, except nobody likes, you know, I mean, you know rats are not something people are fond of the way they are fond of rabbits. Um, yeah, you know, ostensibly based on the H.G. Wells uh, story um, where you know, the rats mutate, they eat this sort of food that is messed with and uh, they grow, uh, they grow massive. Now, Grizzly, I watched this one recently. It came out in 1976. Uh, I love the fact that the film poster was illustrated by the great Neil Adams, who did so much great work for both DC and Marvel. uh, And he passed away recently. Um, But uh, it's, um, yeah, basically, it's like Jaws on land, uh, and yeah, not very good. This motion picture does not cater to fantasy. You will see nature's most savage man-eating animal. By its size alone, it can overpower and devour any human. Grizzly. <laughs> Over 18 feet tall, over 2,000 pounds, the largest carnivorous ground beast in the world. Kingdom of the Spiders. The poster looked awesome. It had mm. a massive, massive fucking spider. Yeah. And and I thought, oh, I've got to check this out. And I did. But there's no giant spiders. There's just lots of spiders. 
and William Shatner is in it, so it was worth it for that. Um, and now, let me see if I have a note here, because there was another big spider film that I watched this week, and it had, oh my God, why, oh, here it is. It's called The Giant Spider Invasion from 1975, and that might be one of the films that I listed off from... Um, uh, from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, it's really bad, too. It has one really big spider and a bunch of normal spiders, but it stars Alan Hale, the skipper wow. from Gilligan's Island, as a, wow. uh, as a uh, sheriff of a small town. Guess what his first line in the film is? No, I, I couldn't. Sheriff! Hi, little buddy. Yeah. So, <laughs> how many times did he say that to Gilligan? Um, and, yeah, just the fact that they gave that to him as his very first line uh, tells you something. All right. Well, that's sort of the the end of my 70s list. And then we get into our more modern era. So Clash of the Titans uh, came out in 1981, and it was the last film that um, Harryhausen was uh, involved with. Now, I have to tell you, David, here's a little confession. For the longest time, I thought Ray Harryhausen, I thought that was three names, in in the same way that, do you remember the... uh, Goaltender for the Maple Leafs in the 1970s, Mike Palmatier. You thought it was Mike Palmatier? Paul, Paul, Mike Paul, Paul Matier. Yeah. And then Matier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, for the longest time until I clued in as a, as a young child. But, mm. um, you know, because it just sounded like so many of the French Canadian players had names like, uh, you know, uh, J.P. Parisi or like mm. John Paul. You were John Paul this, you were John Paul that. And I thought this was Mike Paul Matier. Anyway, a um, little bit of Maple Leafs uh, banter there for you. So anything you want to talk about with uh, Clash of the Titans where we get the Kraken? Well, I'm still hoping for a uh, reference to the Beatles. But um, the 81 film, oh, no. that Who was the star of that? It wasn't Harry Hamlin or, or whoever it was, was it? Oh, uh, I'm Clash not of the sure. Titans from 1981. Uh, let me look that up because I remember that because the 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 the, the ones I think of like release the Kraken is the more recent from from the 2000s are the ones right. I'm thinking of with Liam Neeson and Sam Worthington and release the Kraken. We'll we'll get to that one in a bit. Okay, I'll tell you what. While you're while you're looking, I will give you a little. Beatles thing that I could have thrown in here and, yeah. and now and now I will because it's appropriate to the era that we're talking about. In 1980 the film Caveman was released uh, starring Barbara Bach, Shelley Long, Dennis Quaid, and Ringo Starr. And uh, it's a um, it's a low comedy about uh, caveman love basically. But it involves some uh, old-timey stop-motion animation in it with dinosaurs. Um, and so there you go. That's your, your, your Beatles fit for this episode. Mm-hmm. 
the dawn of civilization. Primitive, dangerous, exciting, wet, and sloppy. Caveman. Yeah, Atuk, Zogzog, Lama. He will protect them from all the beasts of the earth. Ringo Starr, Barbara Bach, Dennis Quaid, Shelley Long, John Matuzak, Avery Schreiber, and Jack Guilford. Caveman. Yeah, so I looked it up and I know it. Most people think it was a bit odd or, or interesting casting, or maybe he was towards the end of his career, but Lawrence Olivier was one of the stars right. of the Clash of the Titan from 81. Harry Hamlin, as I had remembered. Yeah. Uh, Claire Bloom, Maggie um, Smith, Ursula Andress, um, and also Burgess Meredith is in it. So it's quite the cast. Like They really pull out all the stops. And it is given a 6.9 out of 10 on the ratings under IMDb, which is actually not bad. Like For a film that you think is not great, you would expect it to be a much lower score. So it might, there might, it might be worth a rewatch. Uh, again, Perseus must battle Medusa and the Kraken to save Princess Andromeda. Which does sound very much like the the, the remakes, the one with uh, Sam Worthington, um, which are probably better. Um, yeah, Clash of the Titans from 2010, the same title. Uh, that's given, but that's even given a less rating. Like the the one with Sam Worthington is a 5.8. Um, even though I still love that line, the whole um, release the Kraken, which I always thought was like. <laughs> such a great line and that's where that's from i didn't realize that yeah it was yeah it was that that, that moment with liam neeson i think he said because he's holding this thing backwards you know there's this whole situation he just finally said no you have to release this massive beast and that's something that's definitely worth on our on our list like he wouldn't beat out godzilla or king kong but the crack in in clash of the titans from whenever it was 2010 or so is certainly one of the, that would be belong in our list for sure. Right. So in this era, we start to see fewer, um, you know, giant monster films. Um, we have some like Ghostbusters from 1984, where um, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man makes an appearance in the third act as this, you know, the giant marauding uh, building destroying creature. Um, that comes out of Dan Aykroyd's brain, um, I guess both as a writer and from his character's uh, name. Uh, from his character's brain, I should say. Um, but it's almost like the Hollywood is waiting for the technology to catch up. So um, in the 90s, we do get a return um, of our giant monsters. So we get films like Tremors, uh, the giant worms, the graboids, uh, Tremors. And then Tremors, of course, begot many sequels, but the original stars Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, who we just lost two weeks ago from the time of this recording. Um, 
1997, we had Anaconda, the giant snake, featuring J-Lo, Ice Cube, John Voight, Owen Wilson. Uh, Lake Placid came out in 1999 with a giant crocodile. Then we crossed into the new millennium. And a film that I I think I saw years ago, and you were like sort of raving about it. And I've seen uh, clips now, and it looks really good. Eight-Legged Freaks with giant spiders came out in 2002, uh, among other people who were in it. We've got uh, David Arquette and a young Scarlett Johansson. Did yeah, you want to talk got, about that? Yeah, yeah, and they've had a few spider uh, uh, kind of films. This one was more campy and more send-up and more humorous, um, and it has Kari Wurr as as the lead um, in it, and people may remember her from... Um, the Sliders series towards the end of the Sliders when when it was sort of going a bit downhill um, and they were losing some of the main uh, stars in it um, and and Kari Wurr is also in the Anaconda film she's one of the uh, she and J-Lo are I think the two main women characters that are on you know with John Boyd trying to find this big Anaconda so Eight-Legged Freaks, I highly recommend. I just can't remember the name of that other... Okay, careful, careful. Uh, Katniss, I have this box, and I don't have the top all sealed off, and she's collapsing into it because it's just there for some storage stuff, and she's just sitting in it, and it just keeps falling into this thing. It's um, like Godzilla attacking Tokyo. <laughs> now, I realize... Uh, and what was the other spider film at that time? Because there was this, there was there was Eight Legged Freaks, and there was this other spider film. Well, in the in the eighties, there was Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia, that's it. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it was which, Arachnophobia, which they actually used a, a spider wrangler for the hundreds of spiders that they they had. And I guess we would, you know, we would be remiss if we did not mention Jurassic Park, which again could have its own show, but. Um, the important thing about Jurassic Park really is that we are now in the CGI era, the modern CGI era. And, um, you know, there's the famous story about how, uh, how Spielberg Mm. was really wanting to do the film, but Mm. he wasn't prepared to do it with stop motion. And he was kind of waiting for, I think it was through ILM industrial light and magic uh, to, you know, for them to get their computer speed up so they could do it. Because that's really what it was all about. It was about processing speed. Um, and uh, and one day he got the call and he came in and he looked at the footage of uh, the dinosaurs uh, moving and, and realized the kineticism had a realism to it and that this could work. You know, this could actually work. You could create these things now and it would look believable. Um, yeah, because he was prepared. Like the story I'd heard is very similar. Like he would have, he was planning on actually doing it without any of the CGI, because he didn't think it was up to snuff yet. So he was pre- fully prepared to do it with the full, you know, with the animatronics and doing all of that. And you're right; he did see the the, the stuff. Now, my brother-in-law Rob Sawyer thought that. Like like some obviously it's a very strong film and and the effects were amazing, but there's this scene 
early on with the when when they're trapped in the vehicle and you see the uh, the water and oh, the yeah. eye and the problem with the eye making itself like like it, the way the eye sort of squinted or tried to and it came in like more like a diamond or whatever it was he thought yes. that that was off a bit because it wouldn't have been what what it should have been should have been more but, bird-like perhaps yeah yeah or, or a slightly different way that the effect would have been done but that's a, a fairly small uh, uh detail because other than that i mean for for spielberg to pull off what what was a brilliant idea why not let's have a car chase in a tree right yeah and just the idea of that plus of course a pun or a joke or just a moment when excuse me that's a second alarm because i added 15 minutes and i will yeah. set another alarm but the um now i have to try to remember what the heck i was talking about you were talking um, about uh spielberg uh you mentioned the uh, the race in the tree and i think you're getting towards this humanity you know, having jokes and whatnot. In, yes, in, yes. Yeah. So the joke is, is that you've got who is one of the great actors. Um, um, you've got the uh, Jeff Goldblum there yeah. in the vehicle, and he looks in the side view mirror, and there's the T Rex getting closer and closer, and there's under at the bottom mm. of the. The, the mirror, it says, objects are closer than they appear or something right. like that, yes. which I thought was just a beautiful moment. And then the whole repartee, him saying, move faster, you know, and all of this kind <laughs> of moments uh, that are just beautiful moments in the film. Yeah, yeah. And it's that's the thing. It's, it's very much like, uh, you know, I love the fact that, that Spielberg has in his... Um, repertoire he has close encounters and and he's got et and they're sort of like a left brain right brain of science fiction right you know one is um you know it's as far as he goes it's it's close encounters is kind of kubrickian in Mm. that like the it's got so much visual detail to it and about contact and then we get et which is also a story about contact but almost no, um, it doesn't get caught up in the visual side of it. It's about the humanity and the connection of this contact between uh, the other and us. Um, and it's great that both of those films exist in his repertoire. Um, but yeah, yeah, so... Yeah. yeah, it gets a sense of almost the H.G. Wells versus Jules Verne. One is more of the science storyteller and the other person cares more or, or deals more with character and other stuff or, or, or Asimov and Clark where you've got one that's yes. more of the science base and one is the more story or character based person and you should be able to have both Yeah, uh, I think for sure um, so again it's this, this recent era that we are now living in it's almost, you know, we almost have as many films with giant monsters as we did in the Atomic Age. Mm-hmm. Um, so we mentioned Eight-Legged Freaks. Uh, we went into that era where all of a sudden Hollywood was like, well, we've, we've made remakes of films. We've done remakes of TV shows. Um, now let's do board games and toys. So we got like G.I. Joe and uh, Battleship 
And then in 2007, from Michael Bay, we got Transformers. So we had giant toys or giant product placements um, with the Autobots and the uh, Decepticons come to life. Um, and, you know, millions of dollars were were spent on people going to see those films. Um, 2007, um, we got from uh, director uh, Darabont, and why I cannot remember Darabont's first name, it doesn't matter, I guess, but he had already done two great Stephen King adaptations. He had uh, uh, adapted Shawshank Redemption, which is, as we know, a brilliant film. Mm -hmm. He then uh, adapted another Stephen King prison film, The Green Mile, um, and his third one was The Mist, uh, with giant Lovecraftian monsters. Uh, and in the end, we get the uh, specifically the behemoth, which we finally see uh, at the end of the film. Uh, and it has an incredibly disturbing ending and twist from the original. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but... Um, well, I think you've told a story about that on a previous podcast, maybe for yeah. the first season, yeah. about the experience of you seeing it, assuming that it would be closer to the story, yes. things would work out, and seeing it with maybe your son or yes. or, or child, and, and that was maybe... <laughs> the wrong decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but how did you know? I didn't, and the thing is, the rest of the film is pretty much exactly the story that I had read, the novella that I had read. Um, anyway, I'm going to leave that to folks at this point and on this show, because uh, it's, it is a great film, but it goes in dark places. I can talk about Cloverfield. Just sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which we got in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the thing that I mentioned in, in one of our episodes of uh, maybe it was a beefcake cheesecake one or the genre crushes about how the party at the beginning of Cloverfield was, was for me along with the Dracula 1972 film was one of the more annoying um, parties as just this whole um, uh, beginning of it just sort of took me a bit out of the film but the monsters the effects that they can do with that and what you can do nowadays compared to what you could and how much cheaper they are and how good they look reminds me of uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the film. It was something like The Block, but um, I have to think about it. But it had it was a Jodie Whittaker film before she became Doctor Who. Okay. Um, and the effects were really good based on the fact that this is not a $100 million film that was made. Right. Um, and that's what I think of Cloverfield, is that the effects... For the film and what happens in it still makes me like that film. Yeah. Now, did Despite you see Cloverfield in the theater? I can't remember. I I would be surprised because it's not the kind of film I would see in the theater. I would wait until it's on TV. There's certain ones like the Star Trek, whatever the recent Star Trek films and Star Wars and some other one. There's certain ones I will go to the theater for and other ones I would wait Right, and I would be surprised if I actually did. I just can't recall actually okay. seeing it in the theater. Yeah, I I did not, but I remember thinking when I saw the trailer, I won't be able to watch this in in the theater. Um, you know, because it it features uh, sort of um, 
handheld video footage because it's mm-hmm. like supposed to be found footage of this incident. Um, but unlike, unlike something like the Blair Witch Project, which is generally, you know, shots of faces in the woods and whatnot, this is, you know, really moving around a lot. Mm, you're right. And, and I thought it would actually make me seasick if I saw it in the theater. So I did stay away till I event. In fact, I saw, um, the, what's the one with, um, Cloverfield, the, 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 the follow-up film. Yeah. Uh, there was a more recent version yeah, of the Cloverfield. Which was very, very different and very, very good. Again, with uh, one of our favorites, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Is that yeah. her name? Yeah. Um, and she's great in that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I stayed away from, from it uh, just it, it, until it came on to a smaller screen. Uh, so we had a quote there from J.J. Abrams. He said, I love King Kong. King Kong is adorable and Godzilla is a charming monster. We love Godzilla. But I wanted something with that was just insane and intense. And that we definitely get with uh, with Cloverfield. Mm. Also, in the sort of um, uh, found footage area, we get Troll Hunter, which is a Norwegian film. It came out in 2010. And it has giant trolls. I always thought of trolls as the trolls underneath the bridge. So I always thought they were dwarfish creatures. But supposedly in Norwegian mythology, these things can be massive, like King Kong and Godzilla size. And in Troll Hunter, they are that big. Um, and there's a hilarious little bit in at the end of the, uh, the so credits. Big. It says, no trolls were harmed during the making of this movie. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. 2013, we get uh, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. And, of course, that's giant sea monsters and giant robots, men in these robot suits. And what do we call them, David? Uh, Jaegers, I believe? Yeah, I think they refer to them as Jaegers. And yeah. that film, I, I know some people may not care for it or think that, you know, why should I watch this? But I, I thought it was a very good action film. Yeah, and it really was like a love letter to uh, the Toho universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a little quote here from uh, Del Toro. He says, I really wanted to create something new, something that was madly in love with these things, meaning um, the kaiju. Um, he said, I tried to bring epic beauty to it and drama and operatic grandeur. And I really do think he, he succeeded. Uh, also, again, he's working with... Um, Who was Hellboy? What the hell's his Ron Perlman? He was working mm-hmm. with Ron Perlman again, who's who's great in it, and of course uh, Idris Elba is in it as mm-hmm. well. And it's hard to lose with with Idris Elba, who is in one of our films a little bit later, The Suicide Squad, twenty twenty one. And in that film, we got a giant starfish. Let me just mention the the, the others we have recently, and there's so many. There's uh, we had Ant Man from 2015 with a giant Paul Rudd. We had uh, Okja in 2017. Uh, it was directed by uh, Bong Joon Ho. Uh, yeah, so we got a giant pig, and we got uh, Tilda Swinton in it, and Paul Dano. Um, uh, then uh, the Meg, which is another giant shark film, but a really, really, like really deep blue sea, and in Dune. In 2021, we had giant worms, the sandworms on Arrakis. Um, so a lot of uh, 
a lot of big things there. Um, and also, we have talked about uh, in previous episodes the, the recent Kong versus Godzilla films or the Kong uh, Godzilla franchise that sort of uh, uh, dovetailed into uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, yeah, which rebooted I'm, at some point in the 2000s, I think. Um, was it Matthew Broderick or who was it? Well, was there it was a Matthew Broderick film, and um, I n- remember. Um, Ishiro Honda really did not like that film and sort of demanded that uh, if Warner Brothers was going to continue making uh, Godzilla films that it needed to revamp what they were doing. So after that film, they they began again. Um, and so, yeah, there's uh, including the last one, the Godzilla Kong film, uh, there's two prior to that. And then there's, of course, uh, Kong Skull Island. Um, and those are all a lot of fun. Like, I mean, we're talking about popcorn films, right? Yeah. Um, but they could have Idris Elba, who they were thinking at one point of being 007. He can do anything. So he could actually yeah. be the, the next uh, Godzilla. But um, I don't know if you've seen this because Alexa showed me this video on YouTube of Idris Elba talking about he can do anything. I'm mother effing Idris Elba. Like, it's himself talking about being able to do everything and it is so so great like like yeah. it's him just having fun it's sort of like Liam Neeson to Ricky Gervais had this series and I'm trying to remember the name of it but it was basically a comedian like him and another comic and they would just do various sketches do various things and suddenly and one of these um Liam Neeson shows up so he sits at the table and, and Liam says I want to try a comedy Oh, is this, ex- think, this is extras. Ex- extras, exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. from extras. And it is so funny, but in a serious, because he can't do comedy, but that's why it's funny. Like him doing all these lines are supposed to be funny, but he's doing it straight-based kind of Liam Neeson kind oh, of things. Oh, that would be great. Uh, it, was, it was just fantastic. Um, so, go ahead. I, have, I was just going to say, I have a um, a couple of other things. Actually, one is... Is a memory that I have made a note of. Uh, Marvel used to have uh, a series of comics where I think that it was probably predominantly reprints, but it was called, it was the Giant Size line. So you'd get like uh, Giant Size Spider-Man and, uh, you know, Giant Size Thor, say. But one of them was, there was a comic book called Man-Thing, and it was uh, it was created by Len Wein, who also created Swamp Thing, virtually at the same time. Because I think what happened was, he, I think he created Man Thing for Marvel, and then uh, I, maybe they weren't interested or something. But DC was, so he sort of respun the character as Swamp Thing uh, for DC, and that took off. I, and so I'm assuming then Marvel was like, well, let's reboot this Man-Thing character, which is essentially a swamp character with, you know, a living organic green th- creature. But it's just hilarious when you would see these covers and they were actually called giant Size Man-Thing. And uh, it sounds like it might be something that it's not. Um, speaking of superheroes and the like... Um, 
I put a little list together, certainly not exhaustive, only a couple of characters here, but of Marvel and DC characters that are gargantuan. So the biggest one that I could find was Ant-Man, who can also become small, but he talks about how uh, he became at least 60 feet tall. Um, so that's pretty pretty massive. Um, we also have Galactus, Thanos, and the Hulk, who not, uh, you know, Kong size, but certainly uh, pretty big. And in DC, we have the characters uh, Doomsday, Darkseid, and Steppenwolf, who was in the uh, Justice League film. And he's about 15 feet or so. Um, and then I have a, a couple of animated biggies. Um, so shows that feature large characters, large, you know, friendly characters, but still pretty massive. So Gigantor ran from 1963 to 1964, and it's an early anime that was aired in America. Uh, and it was black and white. It featured a boy named Jimmy, his massive flying robot, the titular Gigantor, and his pal, again, with what sounds like maybe a stripper or porn name, Dick Strong. We also have The Great Grape Ape Show. It came out in 1975. It was a Saturday morning cartoon starring a giant purple gorilla named Grape Ape. And uh, in 1999, the animated uh, feature film adaptation of the Ted Hughes classic, The Iron Giant, about a boy named Hogarth and his towering alien robot friend was released. And, and you had a film that was similar, right, David? To Iron Man, I believe. Well, there was or uh, Iron Giant some years ago was Real Steel, with I think it had Hugh Jackman in it. It's actually a very good film. It, it really gets to the heartstrings. A friend of mine, I think, I think it was Jonathan Lear, mentioned how much he liked that film. If I remember correctly, um, Real Steel it was around 2012 or so. I can't remember the exact year it came out. Um, I can do a quick. Um, IMDb search to see how they rated and what year it came out, but it is a good a good film and it has good um, yeah 2011 uh, with uh, 7.0 on the rating. Hugh Jackman, Evangeline Lilly, um, Anthony Mackie of uh, Dakota Goyo. Um, but, yeah, that was – it had heart, which is what you want. You want something that's got an emotional thing, and it's got a father sort of son kind of vibe going through where they're connecting over something. 
Um, how so big is so, would you, how how big would you guesstimate the uh, the, the robot, robot was? was? It's almost like you remember those rock and sock and robots. Oh yeah, that we all had. So this thing was like that giant size. So it was sort of like it has to fight something else in a ring. And this thing might have been like. 15, 20, 25 feet tall. Of okay. course, if you're, you're thinking about large robots or large things, just like we're talking about size matters, um, there was the, um, uh, God, now I'm trying to remember the darn name of the film, but there was uh, a film with a whole bunch of uh, giant robots. I think it might have been Gwyneth Paltrow in it and Jude Law, the, the Captain Robot and Tomorrow's People or something, or or. Captain Tomorrow and the and the something rather. Oh, is this the film um, with Angelina Jolie with the eye patch? Oh yes, yes. yeah, yeah. I always, and, uh, yeah, and Captain the, the robot and the Captain something of tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, Captain Tomorrow and the Yesterday Forevers or something. I don't know what the hell it's called. Captain Fantastic um, and the no, that's Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> Emergency protocol 90206, calling Sky Captain. When the shadow of evil falls across mankind. Come in, Sky Captain. A bold flying ace. This is Sky Captain. I'm on my way. One intrepid reporter. What's this all about? He's coming for me. Who's coming? And a courageous naval officer. What have you got me into this time, Joseph? Nothing you can't handle, Frankie. Are all that stand between the enemies of the future and the world of tomorrow. Captain, this is Dex. Do you read me? Come in. Hang on, Dex. I'm a little busy. Jude Law. Hold on. Gwyneth Paltrow. Can't anything ever be simple with you? And Angelina Jolie. It's a pleasure to finally meet the competition. Joe! I see it! Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. But the robots, like if you are, if you're someone who likes robots, um, I like robots. I grew up with yeah. promo the promo the robot on Rocket Ship Seven out of Buffalo, New York. Yeah, for something like that. The robots in that film are so good. It's just such, like, you have to, if you like robots, you have to see that film. The way they represent them and the story itself and everything that goes on, I think it's a very much an underrated um, uh, film, I think. Yeah, you know, it's, it's endearing to think that there was a time when we didn't feel threatened by our technology. Yeah, here it is. Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. It's only given a 6.1 rating, which I don't think is fair. It's from 2004. I can't believe it's that old because, you know, a year or two from now, it's going to be 20 years. And it just doesn't seem that way. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jude Law, Angelina Jolie, Gino, Giovanni Ribisi, who I've always liked. And he's a great character. It's got that sense of the two people working together because he's sort of the science guy helping out uh, the Jude Law character. Um, yeah, and it's got that kind of cool look that I guess both Sucker Punch 
Sucker Punch had as well, which I think is a Zack Snyder film. Um, but the Rocketeer reminds me a bit of the Rocketeer because you also yeah. have the main character in Rocketeer and the the person who's helping out with the science and stuff like that. And the fashion so, is is retro to sort of like the 30s and 40s. Yeah, with with airships and all that. It's got that whole sense of that style, um, um, which is almost a steampunk kind of. Yes, exactly. It's totally steampunk. Like yeah. that's like the Three Musketeers film, the, the four, whatever it was. They they remade a Musketeer film a few years ago, and it seemed to be more steampunkish than the usual um, Musketeer film. Yeah. Um, now I have a, a quick list for you. I know you have some things to touch on too before we wrap up, and we've been out here in the fresh air for a long time. So uh, yeah, we should think about going in and maybe playing some Crokinoe. Um, but uh, I have a short list of four actors that I just called the big the big guys, and feel free to to chime in uh, after I give you my, these four. And I've gone in reverse uh, order, so like I go from shorter to taller. But of course, we ha- I had David Prowse, who is mm. six foot six inches, mm. who who gave us the embodiment of Darth Vader. He was also in Clockwork Orange. And uh, uh, a number of uh, Frankenstein films for Hammer Horrors in the 1970s. Um, now, these next two actors, I often confused. There was Ted Cassidy, who mm. was six foot nine inches. Uh, he played Lurch Adams. Did he played uh, Lurch on the Adams Family. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but he yeah. also played um, Jaws. Did he not or not? Uh, no, that's, Bond film, that's, or is that the other guy? that's Richard Keel. Oh, that is Richard Keel. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. See, but I Ted always... Ted Cassidy, what the heck was he in? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, he was uh, so Lurch in the Addams Family. He was, yep, yep. he was on Lost in Space. He was on, uh, made an appearance on Batman as Lurch. He was in Star Trek. Yeah, Star at, Trek episode, yep. Yeah, the... Um, now I understand the equation. Like he's that large guy, and they're underground, and they've got Doctor Corby, Scientist Corby, and he's holding up Kirk. He says, "I understand now," kind of thing. But yep. Yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah, and he played uh, on both Bionic Woman and Six Million Dollar Man. Mm. He played uh, Bigfoot. Now another actor also did, which I'll get to in a second. Yeah, we so, know that. <laughs> yeah, so so Richard Keel. Was yep. seven foot two inches, and he was Jaws in the Bond films. Right, right, right. He's also on our list earlier as Ega, who is a, a caveman that somehow, I guess, was in suspended animation or something and brought back to life. Um, he was in the Twilight Zone episode to serve man as the uh, Canimit alien who nice. uh, is ready to uh, to uh, do some eating. Doing some, yep, do yep. some big eating, yep, yep. Uh, and of course, you know who, who the biggest guy is, right? Yeah. Now that you said that, he also played Bigfoot in a sixty million yeah. dollar man episode. I already know who it is. Yeah, Andre the Giant was seven foot four inches and remarkably five hundred and twenty pounds. Mm. Like that blows my mind as somebody who uh, is and has been even bigger. Uh, 520 pounds and he looks so solid too you know what I mean? yeah but remember that moment which was iconic which was isn't sort of genre but when he when hulk hogan 
fought him in WrestleMania. They had to set it all yeah. up yeah. as now Andre the Giant is actually a bad guy now because he was always right. on the good side. And then when Hulk Hogan power slams, it actually lifts him up and slams him down. And oh. this is a 500-pound, seven-foot guy was one of the great moments in any sport, I think. Right. And, of course, we know him from... Princess Bride. I mean, if you, didn't, if you didn't know him as a wrestler, which you know, I think almost everybody does, you would know him from the Princess Bride. He was also uh, in Conan the Destroyer, and he was the original Bigfoot on the Six Million Dollar Man. That's right. Uh, that's an right. episode everybody that sort of grew up in our era, uh, you know, really remembers that episode. Absolutely. So that's that's my uh, my yeah. Notes. There's a great there's a great documentary on. Yes, uh, Andre the Giant that came out a few years ago. He he was basically someone who liked to fart in elevators. Like he has this huge <laughs> meal and he let this n- nauseous thing go, and he'd be happy because no one else could get out. So that's the kind of style or, or the kind of character he was. Like he was very much a jokester and was very good natured and was a great guy. But then when you talk about you know how he would actually order food. Reminds me of these two Montreal disc jockeys that that they, that um, Howard Stern would would every so often play on his show of right. how they ended up um, doing this Pavarotti thing where they were pretending to be Pavarotti and calling in order to to deliver food to his dressing room and then he kept asking all of this food and so on like um, Andre the Giant actually had the equivalent of what we would probably call like three or four meals as one meal. And he yeah. also drank many bottles of wine every day. Wow. Right. And so he was French. He had, so yeah. 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 But he had quite the uh, appetite, but with what he had, the, the, the whole, the, the, and there's some term for it. It's oh, basically giant. Gigantism. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that's something like that. It, people generally are not long lived. You're, you're lucky if you do get into your forties with with what he had. Yes, yeah. And his hands were so massive. Like I've seen a oh few my pictures God. recently. And we've got a couple other points, eh, David? Yeah, yeah. I've got a, just a few because we're running out of time. We're already almost past. So I've got about a minute and a half. So I'll do some quick one. Gulliver from Gulliver's Travels. But there's a point where he is very uh, big and tall. Uh, Buffy and some of the things and some of the issues I have with the whole thing about the giants and, and, and trying to up yourself and do something bigger every year. Buffy had an issue with that because the first year, I think it was the master and they have this whole build up the whole season long thing. Eventually she has to fight the, the main bad guy at the end of the season. Then the next season, well, they have to find something tougher and eventually she has to fight someone that's, I think her name was glory and she was a God. And if you just keep having to do that same thing with the Avengers films and this and that you paint yourself in a corner because every film, then you have to bring something that's even more massive and more big instead of just trying to just do another story or do something different. Yes. Um, the, 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 the Spider-Man with uh, Tobey Maguire with the first film, which was great. Doc Ock, I even thought was a better film, but then they just having to keep outdoing themselves. So the third film, they had to have then two Sandman yeah. and Venom. And I always felt that's that film. If it was just Sandman would have been so much a better film. Um, the only time I felt that a, a large group of supervillains actually worked well was the Batman film from 1966 that yes. Joker, Riddler, uh, Penguin, and Catwoman joining forces. It's only rated a 6.5 on IMDb, but it was very good. 
Um, yeah, so and I my think point is bigger isn't always better. Yeah, and the thing about the IMDb rating is probably a lot of people who are much younger than us, you know, who are seeing it in a different way than we do. That's for sure. And yep. I would also add the Legion of Doom from Super Friends, but that's that's a little mm. bit different. Um, now, now, some of the things are, and and because we just got like a minute left, it's already way over time. But I didn't want you know us to not go without mentioning Doctor Who, and there are various sites where you can actually rate the that they already have ranked the 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 um, um, Doctor Who monsters, but none of them were really big. I remember something from Planet of e- Evil. Uh, the uh, Jagrafas, which was were described as a lump of meat on the ceiling. <laughs> the Weeping Angel, which one of the episodes with the Weeping Angel actually had the weeping that, turning into like the Statue of Liberty, which was quite a moment. There was an episode called Kill the Moon, where the actual moon was a um, living creature. Um, they also thought that that was similar to the Beast Below, which, which referred to the Star Whale. Uh, Star Trek had encounter at Farpoint where where uh, I don't want to give a spoiler, but by now people should be aware of what happens. But that's a rather large uh, creature. Um, so th- yeah, there's certainly we, there's a limit to how much we can actually cover with all of the large. I'm sure we've missed uh, a fair number of things, but I think we've caught on the big ones. As long as you've got Godzilla and King Kong in the list, I think we're doing pretty good. Yep, yep. And David, you'll be glad to know that um, when we leave the dock and go back to the actual cottage, that in the fridge I put uh, a couple of cream sodas in there to chill. Uh, Very good. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Well, we hope all the toffees out there enjoyed the show. Um, We want you all to have a great summer. And if if (laughs) if you're listening in the winter... Uh, we hope that uh, you can let this episode be your holodeck to warmer days. Yeah, well, that's our size matters show, which we've it just could not fit, you know, because size does matter, and you can't yeah. fit si- size matters episode into just one episode. So this is the second, the ending of the second size matters. Uh, remember to catch us on your favorite podcast provider. Um, you know, check out our website. Um, I have been doing that a lot lately. I really love uh, the website that David has set up. It's uh, 2numeric2of.ca. Uh, you can find all of our previous podcasts there um, with lots of info. Um, also, Facebook, uh, we're Two Old Farts Talk Sci Fi. Uh, please feel free to give us some feedback. Uh, chat, uh, post something if you like, but uh, we would love to uh, have some dialogue going. But please do tell a friend. Yeah, and about the website, um, uh, a good friend of ours did uh, create it, but I've been updating it since it started. We're already in three season three, if you can believe it, Troy. We're in three seasons. There's a lot of content there, and if you like this episode, you know, listen, you know, listen back to the um, the shrinkage episode and all the others because I, I think we have a lot of fun hanging out and, and talking science fiction because you know we love the genre for sure yep well I am David Clink and I'm Troy Harkin see you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts Talk Sci Fi. <laughs> <laughs>